0: Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, Episode 3.
1: Plantadvice.co.uk
2: for all your gardening needs.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, the podcast to help you get the best out of your garden, with me, Richard Farrer.
3: And me, George Munford.
0: In this episode, we're going to look at the 2013 RHS Chelsea Flower Show, which also this year is celebrating its centenary. We'll have some interviews with one or two of the top garden designers. We'll also feature our plant in a month later on in the podcast, which is Iris Sibirica Tropic Night. There's jobs to do in the garden this month. Perfect pairing, two plants that complement each other this month, which will be Geranium Johnson Blue and Luthyrus latifolus white pearl. And we'll finish up with some of our favourite plants in the garden this month. This year, the RHS celebrated the 100 years, or the centenary of the RHS Chelsea Flower Show. I was lucky enough to go along this year, as we've been a few years. George, you went uh, with us two years ago, uh, but unfortunately it coincides with the main gardening season, so you don't seem to be able to find the time to join us anymore.
3: Yeah, it is difficult for me, Richard, because my work is very seasonal. So, to take uh, a full day out of my gardening year is, which is not, which is very short, is um, not really something that I can afford to do.
0: No, I, I can appreciate that. I, I do feel for you. Anyway, you got plenty of photos we brought back with you, which uh, you can see on our website at uh, plantadvice.co.uk/showgardens during the show. We spent a whole day there from 8 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock at night uh, in the afternoon. Loads and loads of show gardens. Large show gardens are exemplary. They are stunning. There's two categories of small gardens as well, the artisan gardens and the fresh gardens. The fresh gardens are a new category that was introduced last year by the RHS, which is seeking to push garden design, um, explore the boundaries of garden design, which consequently means the gardens are not always what you would think of as a traditional garden, not something perhaps you'd want to put in your back garden, but they certainly do challenge ideas. Um one garden in particular I, I I did quite like in the end, but initially it kind of uh, i didn't see it. It was a, a mound which was covered with very free form planting. it looked like a Jackson Pollock painting, if you were going to stand it from near, just splashes of color, complete chaos and madness i didn't really get it until I spoke to the garden designer, and the idea is you look through a tunnel going through the center of the garden and it 's got a, a, a plaque at the end which is asking you to think and be mindful and the idea is that you're supposed to meditate sit there and think about other things and look through the chaos of the world around so once it's been explained i I can understand that well how do you think how do you feel about these type of gardens creeping into the flower shows george
3: i think i would have to see them to really understand them but uh i don't really understand what it is you're talking about is we think of a house and we think of a garden. Are you talking about something in between? Um, some
0: of the ones I've seen at Hampton Court um, defy explanation, really. This was like a, a big mound of earth covered in grass and then uh, like a flower meadow, but flower meadow, which is somebody's, like a five-year-old's gone mad with a pack of seeds, just everything growing there.
3: Right, yeah, that, that, that sounds okay with me as long as it involves plants and not too much... Um, Hard landscaping?
0: Well, I suppose it's Chelsea, so they should have plants. Although a few years ago, I remember James May went there and exhibited a plasticine garden. Oh, dear. Yeah. Good garden. He didn't win gold because they can't win gold if they haven't got any plants in it. But it was an interesting concept. Um, we spent a lot of time. We looked around the, the Grand Marquis, which is about the size of two football pitches. We looked at the show gardens. You can look at the photos on the website, as I mentioned. But we also managed to catch up with uh, two garden designers or or three garden designers, a a pair of uh, young lads, brothers, Harry and David Rich, which hail from South Wales in the Brecon Beacons and exhibited uh, their first ever Chelsea garden. They won a gold, which, well done guys, that is fantastic, and they exhibited in the artisan gardens. Their garden was entitled Ungarig, which is Welsh, for one stone, and used stone from a single quarry, and I think they used one big stone which they carved up in lots of pieces, uh, which is where they got the name from. They were Trying to highlight the growing separation between man and the natural world in their garden, and they were mimicking lots of the features found in the natural Welsh countryside where they live, such as the dry stone walls. We managed to catch up with the two guys and had a chat with them, and this is what they said um, and told us about their garden. This is your first time at Chelsea, is it the yes, guys? Yep. Yeah, What's your inspiration for this? It's just
1: kind of our local surroundings in Wales, really, kind of just nature around us. Yeah. It? It's called Ingareg, which in Welsh is one stone. And the whole kind of idea was to take a, a, a big chunk of stone from the local quarry, and then uh, kind of split it up into boulders, slabs, stone walling, cobbles, gravel, so that you're using every aspect of the stone. Um, so it's that kind of using material in, in its extremes, really. So you can there's no kind of so your carbon footprint is less, um, and really just showing in its different forms and textures how it can be used throughout the, the space.
0: Your brothers, obviously. <laughs> yeah. How does that work when you're designing something like well, that? Is it squabbles? It's who, no, no, no. Who gets, the, uh, who gets the final say? Uh, probably, well, Harry usually start <laughs> a little with bit design, older, so <laughs> and then I'm happy enough to say no. Yeah. I did not change that bit. It, work, <laughs> it works well.
1: We both got slightly different views, but in the overall, overall picture, we're very similar in our, you know, the, ways we, the way we design and how we, we want things to, to look, so it works really well.
0: And what got that's you into well. garden design?
1: Uh, we did. We studied as landscape architects um, in Leeds, and Dave's got three weeks left. Still got and then three weeks. Finished uni. Yeah. Really? So, uh, and then from there, really, I think, uh, for me, anyway, um, I was quite interested in detailing and uh, something on a bit more of uh, looking at detail rather than the large picture of doing big urban cities, and uh, I wanted to to go into kind of creating spaces that people can really enjoy and detailing yeah. is
0: critical for Chelsea. Yeah. Oh isn't yeah. It, yeah, especially on the inside. dave have been well. detailing in the walls for <laughs> months. <laughs> Hours. <laughs> sort of things you use the toothpick for but Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so this is a, a chosen career. You want to go ahead? Yes. In. So yeah, something like Chelsea, it's if perfect. you get a decent medal under your belt, yeah. which I'm sure you guys will do, I hope oh, you do well, thank you. it's going to set you up for life, isn't Yeah, it? hopefully. That's the, the thought yeah. behind it. And you want to come back again?
1: Yes. Are Dave likes to go, use are the are word definitely maybe. Definitely maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> are we going to see you doing a, a large show garden sometime? Well,
1: we'd love to, we'd love to be able to show, because things have got a different feel to all the, the large show gardens at the moment. So maybe we get the chance to, to show what we can do on a bigger the bigger
0: space and when you finish at university are you going back to Wales or are you going to uh, yeah. spread your wings well we'll, see, we'll
1: see what happens yeah, but home I mean, is always Wales think. yeah
0: definitely mm. I mean you must be proud of being Welsh as well yes we love it yeah, of course yeah. and the, um, the Tannic Gardens down in Wales Carmarthenshire have you b- ever been down there no have I haven't been been to no, no I haven't that's been one there. thing we are going to mention. Sure we do the yeah. largest single span greenhouse yeah. in the world. Yeah. that is beautiful it, we've been there a few times yeah. Yeah. it is stunning well yeah. worth it it's not a huge trip for you but well we need to do it we do good luck cheers guys what a lovely pair of guys they're just starting off in their career and they won gold at the first Chelsea show they must be proud as punch moving on from two newbies to the Chelsea Flower Show to an old hat we caught up with Chris Beardshaw who was a regular at the big flower shows Uh, he's exhibiting at Chelsea this year he won a gold no surprise he seems to win a lot of these he'll be exhibiting at the Hampton Court Flower Show later on in the year Chris Beardshaw designed this year's Arthritis Research Garden. But as it turns out, arthritis is something he's been affected by since he was a teenager. So it's a very personal, um, personal cause for him. And his garden seeks to explore the journey from being diagnosed with arthritis and being very closed in and doom and gloom, to coming to terms with it and realising there is light on the horizon. And the garden... Echoes this in its planting and construction, being very closed in at one end to much more open, but beautiful drifts of flowers, very English in in its choice of uh, palette and and flower choice, as Chris often uses. We spoke to Chris a bit about his thoughts in the garden, his inspiration, and,
2: uh, uh, and what
0: it means to him
2: back at chelsea then yes i know 100th year and uh, after this project i feel 100 i can assure you i mean it's been it's been a difficult year hasn't it for anybody who's trying to grow anything and i think anyone exhibiting at chelsea whether you're doing gardens or whether you're a nurseryman um you know it's i think one of the most challenging years because not just of the winter, than the prolonged winter, but also the summer we had or lack of summer last year, and I think we We've very had often forget two, two bad seasons. It's two bad we? seasons, and I, we very often forget that it's the season prior to growth that affects Six. our plants, and certainly in terms of flowering. So, getting things like um, peonies and Oriental poppies, um, lupins, iris, getting them into flower, they choose to flower and respond to the conditions. Last summer that's what promotes them into flower this spring and um, you know we just didn't have the warmth in the sunshine and therefore um, you know difficult to get them to grow this year fortunately we weren't relying too much on them in this garden but has that affected your choice in plants for this garden well it's it's meant that we've chosen to use a different palette of plants and that's one of the lovely things about of course growing in this country is that the rather variable seasons means that no two seasons no two months are ever the same and and so we've got Plants like anthriscus and the uh, sweet sicily, which normally would be over by the time Chelsea came around, or at least you'd be trying to slow them down. But rather peculiarly, some plants are really boisterous, given the weather conditions. So things like Eremurus and echiums, which we've got in the, the other part of the garden, the radiant section of garden, They've done very well. You know, they just chose to flower, and once those sorts of plants choose to flower, nothing's going to stop them, whether it's a, a damp summer or a cold winter. They just race through.
0: This season we've had, is given a mixture. So some plants are, are coming up when they should do, some are delayed, which means you're getting two groups of plants which are flowering together, which you would never normally see flowering
2: together. You're absolutely right, and I think one of the, um, the common mistakes that people make is that you know, they try and explain away the season by saying we're two months behind where we should be. And it isn't as simple as that. You're right some plants are performing on on schedule some are behind some are even advanced and it's that rare combination that g- means that you've got a very very bizarre palette it reminds me much of the times that I've spent gardening in the north of Scotland so the Orkneys and Shetland where there isn't really spring there's no spring season you go straight from winter the next day you go outside it's summer and and I think that's the sort of situation that we're in you know prolonged period of cold and of course wet and then suddenly the temperature warmed up, although it doesn't feel that warm today. It's Definitely. only about sort of 9 or 10 degrees, but you know, there, there was certainly um, a switch in the way that plants started to grow. I and mean, we're standing next to a woodland uh, piece of planting here, and uh, bouncing through the woodland here are cardiocrinums, some of which have already started their flowering spike. And uh, quite early in the year to, for them to be pushing through and starting to flower. And, of course, they get up sort of 8 to 10 feet with pure, white, almost regal lily-looking blooms, um, six, eight feet high, you know. So it's, it's, it's an extraordinary plant um, and, and, you know, indicates that there's a range of plants out there that carry on despite the conditions.
0: And this year you've chosen to do a very personal theme for the garden. I'm sure a lot of people didn't realise that you'd suffer from arthritis. No one would ever know.
2: Mm. yes
0: it's something that's obviously very personal to you you've been through a journey and and have you found it difficult doing a garden in that
2: respect I think it's there's there's certainly a very strong emotional connection with with what's going on here and and with the garden that we've created the process of of developing the garden it makes it a very intimate uh, process and of course that the insight that um, suffering with arthritis gave me in trying to explain the the process of the design and and the creation of the garden um, in a way was was hugely beneficial until you're um, affected by something like that it's difficult to explain how it makes you feel and that's what i wanted to try and demonstrate with the garden here you know loosely divided into three parts at the rear of the garden we wanted to indicate you know the, the point of diagnosis the fact that you you almost feel, and, and you know personally, I felt that there was, uh, the, the horizon was, was reducing for me, and, and that my life was being compromised. So we've, we've got dense canopies, really quite tortuous paths. we've got limited views. Those views are veiled by the congested foliage. So it, you have to um, uh, 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 be aware of the fact that your life is, is changing. And then the next section of garden is only accessed via a, a, a stepping stone path a random stepping stone path and it's trying to get people to understand that if you, if you are affected with arthritis every move you make is a very conscious effort and you're very aware of every move you make because of the pain of the condition uh, but if you pursue and, uh, that path albeit you don't necessarily know where it's going because our path goes through the woodland and round the back of a hedge. If you continue on that path, you walk into a section of garden, which we refer to as the lucid garden, and you move away from the sombre colours of the woodland and suddenly you're into the whites and pinks. It's much more green and uplifting. Um, And this is about the help which can be found from organisations like Arthritis Research UK for anyone who's affected and then the final section of garden is a straight line path it's big, it's broad, it's bold it's a very easy route through and it's after you've got the help that you require, living life at full colour maximum chroma maximum potency despite arthritis it's not that you pretend arthritis isn't there the canopy of the trees still overshadow the garden but the vibrancy and bountiful nature of the planting in that radiant section of the garden demonstrates that don't allow arthritis to compromise your life thank you chris you're welcome thank, thank you very you. much
0: well that's two people we spoke to at the chelsea flower show uh the two young guys harry and david rich and chris or an old season professional we could talk about Chelsea for hours and hours. We spent hours, but uh, unfortunately, we've only got a limited amount of time. We'll leave the BBC with the rest of the Chelsea, and we'll move on with the rest of the show. Plant of the Month So, George, this month you've chosen the Iris Sibirica Tropic Night as your Plant of the Month. Uh, why is that?
3: Um, I think during the hot summer days, if, we, if we're lucky enough to get them this year... I like to see cool blues and purple colours in the garden and this is uh, one such plant that we could use in the garden at this time of year.
0: It is a beautiful looking plant actually.
3: Yes, it flowers uh, in May and June. The the flowers as I said are a distinct violet blue and they they sit above the the strappy green foliage. How tall do they grow? They can grow just over a metre tall, and uh, they can spread up to a metre as well.
0: So something you wouldn't put at the front of the bed, but maybe in the middle of a bed.
3: Yes, and they, they are a little bit fussy, I'm afraid. They're not for every garden. The soil's got to be reliably moist, and also not, it should not be... Not normally
0: a problem in the UK, then.
3: No, no, but there are... You know, you couldn't... If you live in an area with uh, a chalky soil where the water runs off very quickly that wouldn't be suitable.
0: If you have soil like that could you plant them in the pot and then bury the pot in the garden would that
3: work? Yes, but um you you would have to make sure that the pots didn't dry out and, and you would have to it, it, the compost might become exhausted after a period of time so you might have to replace it in a few years. Can you grow them as container plants? I think you can grow most plants as container plants, providing you look after them properly.
0: It just makes the workload that much harder.
3: Yeah, that's right. Because, as I said before, the the compost can become exhausted of nutrients and also you don't want any plant to uh, dry out.
0: And you say they love the sun?
3: Yeah, but they will also grow in light shade. And when do they flower, George? Irish Siberica tropic night flowers uh, during the months of May and June. And would you say it's an easy cultivar to grow? Yes, providing you've got the soil conditions right and the aspect right, then all iris sibericas are uh, easy to grow.
0: I don't have any irises in my garden, but looking at the photo here, which um, you can have a look at on our website, the the show notes for the show, which are found at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 3. I think it's a beautiful looking plant. I love the colour of it. I might well get myself one of those. Yes, I'll plant it for you, Richard. Thank you, George. Yes, we can admire it together. Perfect Pairing Now, George, Perfect Pairing, something we're going to feature in our podcasts, hopefully, is a selection of two plants that go well together. What have you chosen for us this time?
3: Well, uh, this month, Richard, I have chosen cooling colours again, and this is because of the summer months, and I like to see nice cooling colours in the, in the summer. So what I try and do with this perfect pairing idea is to choose a couple of plants that complement each other. And on this occasion I've chosen the perennial sweet pea, Lathyrus Latifolius white pearl. And the hardy geranium, geranium johnson's blue. And my idea with this is that uh, you would build a structure or something uh, like a, a tripod or a wigwam uh, out of bamboo canes or maybe a more permanent structure for the, the white perennial sweet pea. Um, you would grow the sweet pea up the, up the structure and then around the base you would plant Geranium Johnson's blue and the two colours would uh, have a sort of striking contrast to each other the pure white of the Latherus latifolius white pearl, underplanted with the violet blue flowers of the Geranium Johnson's blue. I do like the colour combination.
0: I think the uh, Geranium Johnson's blue actually, and the, and the white Latherus latifolius, I struggle with that, I think it would go well with your previous plant we mentioned, Iberis sibirica tropic night.
3: Yes, they would. And the other reason I've chosen this pairing is because you also have a contrast in the habits of the two plants you've got the Lathyrus latifolius white pearl which um, is growing upright almost to two meters tall and completely opposite to that the geranium johnson's blue has a more creeping carpeting sort of effect around the base sweet peas i
0: love sweet peas but we haven't had very much success in our garden we've got very heavy clay soil here any uh, any tips for growing sweet peas
3: well of course most people will grow the annual sweet peas that you plant from seed each year. This one is perennial so it comes up year after year.
0: That's always a bonus. It's a bit of a pain sometimes in it sowing seeds every year. It's um, one of those tasks the gardener has to do and many gardeners love doing it, but it is also nice to plant something and know it's going to come back year after year.
3: Yes, that's right. With, with sweet peas in particular, whether they be they, uh, annual or perennial, I think the most important thing is to have well-drained soil. The seeds will quite easily rot in soil that's uh, waterlogged.
0: So plenty of grit, will that help?
3: Yeah, plenty of grit in the planting hole, but it also has to be humus rich as well, the soil. So plenty of compost added to the soil and grit to improve the drainage.
0: Well, I, I do like the uh, the sweet pea there. It's a beautiful plant. The problem is you come up with nice suggestions, and if I'm going to do this every time, my garden's going to get jammed packed with different plants, George. I'm going to start getting choosy, aren't I?
3: <laughs> yeah, just choose uh, your most favourite pairing throughout the year.
0: Um, I will do yes it's a it's something to do though isn't it as the garden goes through different seasons look take photos watch what works what doesn't work and then the end of the season when you can move things refer back to your photos move things around and hopefully you'll have stuff in the right place for next year
3: absolutely and the other thing you can do is to uh, visit gardens that are open to the public and get gain inspiration that way
0: Yes, we love going around the uh, stately homes and gardens. They are beautiful and you can get fantastic inspiration. Also makes you feel terribly jealous sometimes.
3: Well, yeah, and it's not just the uh, gardens that are open to the public. If you were to go to the garden centre uh, once a month, let's say, in times of austerity, uh, you, you could pick out one plant that's flowering each month and then you've got 12 months of flowers. Good idea. Excellent idea.
2: to do in the garden.
0: Now, gardening's a full-time job sometimes, isn't it, George?
3: Yes, it is for me, it's my living.
0: It's a living, but many people that don't do it as a living, do do spend hours and hours tending to the garden. What jobs should people be looking at doing this month?
3: Well, it's one of the busiest months in the in the year. Uh but one of the good things is that if the weather is okay, you can be in the garden for most of the day and most of the evening as well, it, you know it, the longest day falls this month, of course. So you can be out gardening until ten o'clock at night. So there's many things you can do. The first one is, uh, most importantly of all, I would say, is to save and, st- and store rainwater. If if the weather is uh, wet, as it often is in our UK summers, don't let that rainwater run off. Now, store it in a water butt. That can
0: also have other advantages because the rainwater you get coming out of the sky that's going to be pure and unadulterated isn't it
3: that's right if you've got uh, ericaceous plants such as rhododendrons azaleas uh, some of the ferns camellias they will not like tap water that has a high ph is alkaline so you really want to use Rainwater, which should have a lower pH and is slightly acid.
0: Well, we've got one rainwater storage butt here at the moment, but I think um, we're going to look at putting another one in, because we do use that a lot for watering the, the plants, It's for, um, the, the container pots. It's very easy to go up, grab your watering can, top it up, and go and do a little bit of watering every now and then. So I think we're definitely going to look at adding an extra one. And it's um, good for the environment and the planet, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, and let's, let's not forget, you know, we are complaining a lot recently about the amount of wet weather, but it's really not that long ago that we had an extended drought in this country. This,
0: this time last year, we were possibly facing a um, hosepipe ban, weren't we?
3: Absolutely, we, we did have a hosepipe ban in, in parts of the eastern counties. But it got rather soggy after that last year, I seem to remember. It started to rain as soon as they announced the hosepipe ban. And it didn't stop for months. <laughs> Absolutely, it doesn't seem to have stopped yet
0: okay so storing grain water uh what next
3: as um many of the herbaceous perennials finish flowering you can often get a second flush from them if you cut them back straight after they've flowered i'm thinking of uh such perennials as the oriental poppies if you cut them back as soon as they've finished flowering and don't let them seed they will often produce uh, a second flush of flowers
0: always a good tip a little bit of work and you can get a lot more out of your garden
3: that's right Uh, another job you can do is to keep the bases of irises clear of weeds and foliage from other plants because that bakes the rhizomes and you get a better flowering performance Uh, we've already mentioned um, the wet weather that we often get during the summer and that encourages slugs and snails to come out and eat the plants that we've been so carefully tending.
0: The bane of every gardener, aren't they?
3: They are a real pain, aren't they? One of the top garden pests, slugs and snails.
0: And the French eat the snails. Maybe we should try that trick.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure I uh, not not really my idea of a nice meal that I I have had them once and with garlic they can they can they are nice,
0: nice and tasty, provided you don't look at what you're eating.
3: And do you have problems with slugs and snails in your garden, Richard?
0: Yeah, they like the hosta don't they? Slugs think the hosta is a buffet.
3: One of their favourite plants, aren't they? The hostas. You, they can be uh, stripped almost overnight of their foliage.
0: I remember talking to one of the exhibitors at uh, one of our flower shows, asking him what his advice was to stop slugs uh, munching away at the hostas. And he said one of the best things is if you can choose a hosta which has a thicker leaf. The thicker the leaf, the less they like munching through it. I think it's like us trying to chew through an old steak. We don't particularly like it. So if you can go for leaves... Of hostas with thicker foliage, you might put off the slugs a little bit.
3: Excellent tip, Richard, that one. One of the other things that slugs and snails love is beer. So you can set beer traps. I love it too. <laughs> Maybe a slug in a form of life, Richard? <laughs> Possibly, who knows? <laughs> um, so yeah, what you do is you, you uh, sink a jam jar into the ground so that the top of it is at soil level. And then you put some beer into it. And you raise the lid of the jam jar above uh, the jam jar by um, sticking some nails around the perimeter of the jam jar and that raises up the lid. So there's a gap between the top of the jam jar and the lid and then uh, sort of mimicking um, a stone that's something for the snails to crawl under. So they crawl under the lid of the jam jar um, because they can smell the beer. They crawl down into the beer and drown very simple, but very effective. Yes, and if you're going to go, Richard, what a way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Couldn't think of a better way myself. Yeah, definitely one for the list. <laughs> um, one of the next things you can do, uh, one another job to do this month is shrub pruning. As a general rule, if you're not really particularly confident about pruning shrubs, I would uh, a general rule that I would always stick to is when a shrub has finished flowering that is the time to prune it so many shrubs have finished flowering this month uh, the early flowering ones of course so look for the shoots on the on the shrub that have flowered and just cut them out. If the shoot has not had a flower on it, leave it, because that probably means that it's new wood that will flower next year.
0: That's a really useful tip. Pruning is um, is a popular question asked by many gardeners, and a very confusing one, with so many different plants that require different pruning regimes. A simple little tip like that, a rule, a guide of thumb, can be very helpful.
3: Yeah, just try and keep gardening simple. It's the same with uh, deadheading just think about the process of what a flower is trying to achieve what it's there for it's to re it's uh, part of the reproductive system so if you remove the flower when it is spent then the plant will naturally want to produce another one because it wants to reproduce especially the annual plants which only have a year of life their main priority as soon as they're born is to reproduce so Nip off any spent flowers on perennial plants and they will produce more.
0: Great, great idea.
3: Of course, another job this time of year is regular lawn mowing and trimming the border edges. If it's particularly dry, then just raise the height of the cut slightly so you're not stressing out the lawn too much. Um, And of course, you can always, uh, if the weather is suitable, if there's no rain forecast for a couple of days, you could always treat the lawn with lawn weed and feed. If you can find any organic products to use, then then please do because I'm a bit concerned about the chemicals that we're putting on our lawns and the possible damage that those chemicals are doing to earthworms. Well, I guess it goes broader than that as well.
0: It's not just the earthworms. The use of chemicals and pesticides. Across the whole scope of gardening, horticulture and and agriculture, with the uh, decline in bees, we we don't really know what we're doing to the environment.
3: No, I I think um, a lot of the chemicals we use in our garden these days are highly regulated. They're not as potent as they used to be. But if there are other methods that we can use in our gardens instead of chemicals, then...
0: Like companion planting.
3: Yeah, we want to encourage the animals into our garden that will eat what we call pests... But going back to the lawns, lawns are often very aesthetic, aren't they? Definitely.
0: Quintessentially English, uh, aren't they? Yes,
3: and people like, often like them to look perfect.
0: Uh, my dad's got a beautiful lawn, stripes and everything.
3: Yeah, and does he use weed and feed treatments?
0: Um, I'm not sure what he uses. Yes, I think he does, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. So, yeah, just if you can, use chemicals in your garden as a last resort.
0: Yeah, second that.
3: But going back to that, Often if you don't use chemicals, to uh, if you have roses, then there aren't really many other options for keeping away black spot and for getting rid of other rose pests. You can rub off aphid, you can literally kill them physically by rubbing them off with your fingertips, but uh, there aren't many ways to control black spot, which is an airborne fungus. So you do have to spray roses to prevent them getting the the black spot. But what I would say about that is try and do it at a time of day where there are no insects flying about, bees, uh, hoverflies, etc. Do it very first thing in the morning or last thing at night to avoid them. Now that's something I wouldn't have thought of, but um, very useful advice. Thank you. Um, And one of the last jobs this month... Is, is to uh, water and feed containers and hanging baskets regularly. If you can use, avoid using chemical fertilisers, great. If you could maybe buy a seaweed-based fertiliser,
0: ideal. Brilliant. All useful tips, George. So much to think of at this time of the year, isn't it? It's definitely the busy season for
3: gardening. Absolutely. I, I think most months of the year are busy in the garden. One of my busiest months... In the garden is later in the year in November when I'm clearing leaves up. I often do my longest days uh, when I'm clearing leaves in people's gardens.
0: Is that uh, returning to your childhood, frolicking in the leaves then, George?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a long way. A long time ago, Richard, yes, but I do vaguely remember.
0: (laughs) For all of us. Okay. Okay. So um, seeds planting into the garden. I know a lot of people are planting seeds into the garden directly and need to transplant out. What should we be planting in the garden now and what should we be um, moving on?
3: So specifically looking into the fruit and veg garden, we can sow seeds outside at this time of year uh, in June of lettuce, runner beans, French beans, pumpkins, radish, carrots, swedes, uh, beetroot you can uh, sow outside this time of year, and spinach. Um, if you've sown seeds indoors, then you can plant out the young plants that you've uh, germinated, of celery, sweet corn, leeks, pumpkins. And while we're talking about sowing seeds outside, of course some plants are, are ready to harvest.
0: That's what it's all about, isn't it? That's why we're growing them.
3: Yeah, you can often be harvesting some crops at the same time as you are sowing seeds of exactly the same crop you know because you want a succession of harvests
0: lettuce is a good one for that isn't it so you can keep getting your lettuce for your salads during the summer
3: yeah um and beetroot as an example you can be harvesting beetroot in june um and sowing sowing seeds of them as well so the other things to harvest this month are rhubarb french beans tomatoes onions radish carrots uh Early potatoes, spinach, cauliflowers and cabbages.
0: But not all at once, because that
3: would be quite a meal to eat, wouldn't it? It yeah, would. Well, you need a big family to uh, need all those things. Plants of
0: note. Now then, George, we've, um, we've done three plants so far. Your favourite plant of the month, the Iris sibirica, which is a, a beautiful plant, beautiful colouring. And you've echoed the similar colouring in a perfect pairing you like, with the Lathyrus latifolus white pearl, the sweet pea, and the Geranium johnson's blue, which is the uh, low-growing one, complementing the climbing sweet
3: pea. Are there any other plants that grab your fancy this month? Yes, yeah, so I don't just like uh, cool colours during the summer months. It's also nice to uh, have a complete contrast with some striking, fiery colours. And one particular plant that I like is the Echinacea tomato soup. I like any plant that flowers for a long period of time. Uh, and this comb flower flowers from June to September.
0: That is a long period, isn't it?
3: Yeah. And the the flowers have to be seen to be believed. They're, they're a very striking, bright tomato red really does look like tomato
0: soup doesn't it
3: yeah and it's not just the flower colors that, are, that I, the reason i like this plant um they're excellent for uh, cut flowers they last a long time in a vase but the flowers are also very attractive to wildlife to butterflies and bees and despite its almost exotic colorings and its appearance it's fully hardy
0: excellent it really does look exotic doesn't it really striking video kind of um Deep red, orangey sort of colour.
3: Yeah, and and those uh, the the flower structure as well. The, the the cone in the centre of the flower is quite looks sort of prickly, like a pincushion.
0: Really, can yes. George and I here are looking at a photograph on the screen at the moment. say so it is a, a stunning flower, actually. How how tall do they grow, George?
3: Echinacea, um, this particular one, tomato soup, can grow to about 80 centimetres tall. A reasonable height, middle of the bed sort of position you'd say then, would you? Yeah, absolutely, you know, with some something um, a bit smaller planted in front of it, maybe with a contrasting colour.
0: And uh, to plant smaller things in front of it, you've picked another plant which is quite a low-growing variety.
3: Yes, yeah, so I'm not sure I would plant it right next to... Um, the echinacea tomato soup because there might be a clash of color the the plant i'm thinking of is uh cross hucarella sweet tea and it, it it's not the color uh, the color of the flowers this time it's the striking foliage that you get with this plant hucoras and hucarellas are uh, they do have striking foliage and it's not a
0: plant i really used to like i'd never had them in the garden but uh it, Going to all the flower shows, Chelsea and Hampton Court and the like, you get to see a lot of them, and they are used in the show gardens a lot. And when you see a stand full of them, and in flower, because the flower spikes or stalks, they shoot up, and the little flowers shoot out from the side, and they look lovely. But the foliage is the key thing, isn't it? You can get some really dark chocolate colours and some lovely bronze colours. Mix them together, look really nice at the front of the bed, and can really complement other colours and other plants in the garden.
3: Yes, and uh, the foliage is so important. You know, we um, for many years that we've always thought of uh, flowers as being the number one priority, but it's the foliage that's af- often there the longest. Um, so you can have a the foliage on a plant can be there for all year in some cases, but in other cases nine or ten months of the year, and often it can change colour throughout the year. The foliage, to me, is the most important part of a plant. Like you say, it lasts a lot longer,
0: so it's something to really consider. And there's no reason why you can't do a garden without any flowers at all, just foliage.
3: Absolutely. If you're very clever with your uh, choosing the plants in terms of contrasting foliage, for example, planting ferns next to hostas or planting uh, grasses next to evergreen conifers you can have real contrasts in not only colors but also texture
0: texture yes that's a very good point as well something we often forget about certainly i do you you tend to look at flowers right i tend to look at flowers first then perhaps for foliage but uh, texture is a is a huge part of it isn't it
3: yeah and before if you're starting from scratch and starting a new garden then initially i would forget about the flowers and for the first few plants, I'll be looking at the structure of the garden, for example, evergreen shrubs. You've got to think of what that garden is going to look like in the winter.
0: Build the big stuff in and then start filling in with the little stuff later on.
3: Yeah, build Excellent. the palette and then paint on top of it afterwards.
0: Once again, great advice. I'm, I'm learning a lot here myself. Um, well, I've got a few hookers. I don't have this particular hookerella. Next time I'm in the garden centre, I think I'll, uh, I'll check that one out. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. Thanks for listening. If you've got any questions, email feedback at plantadvice.co.uk. Some of the links on the um, on the website from flowers we've mentioned, etc., or uh, or photos of a Chelsea flower show, you can get at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode three. Those are the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to follow us online, please do. We'd love to hear from you. You can get us at Twitter at Plant Advice, You can follow us on facebook.com slash plantadvice or look at some of our videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash plantadvice. And finally, if you'd like to receive a regular newsletter to an email box every month, featuring some of the things we've talked about, top tips to do, our favourite plants, you can subscribe online at plantadvice.co.uk/slash-subscribe. And uh, when you do so, you get a free ebook on how to get the perfect lawn, written by George and myself. That's all from us. And that's all from me. Certainly,
3: that's all from me. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you listen again soon.
1: podcast was brought to you by plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs